Welcome to week seven, ladies. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Seven of nine weeks. So we are very nearly coming to the close of this section of Exodus. My name is Christy Davis. I'm on the teaching team. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be speaking tonight on this section of passage. Um, I, this, this passage to me is really personal. And it's done a lot in, to grow my faith. So I'm excited to be here discussing it with you, and I think it'll do the same. So before we get into this week's passage, let's take a moment to remind ourselves of where we are in the narrative. The book of Exodus starts with the Israelites in harsh slavery in Egypt. In their oppression, or maybe because of their oppression, they cry out to God, and God starts putting into motion what must happen in order for the people to go free. And over the last several weeks, we have seen God forcing Pharaoh to let his people go. At the end of last week, we saw that they were finally free to leave. In fact, Pharaoh actually commanded them to do so. He told Moses, get out immediately from among my people, you and the Israelites. And that's where we pick up this week with the Israelites poised, ready to leave Egypt. And just like with every other week of study, we're going to see that the Israelites' physical experience teaches us a lot about our spiritual experience. When we look at the process that they follow to leave their physical slavery, we learn about the process we have to follow to leave our spiritual slavery, as we see once again that the Exodus story, it's our story too. As I read and studied and looked at this passage over and over again, and again, I'm not coming into this passage cold, I started to look at it like, it really started to look like a how-to manual for me. You know what I'm talking about, like how to draw, how to ride a bike, how to win friends and influence people. Right here in Exodus, I think God has given us a how-to manual, how to leave your life of slavery. And as we go through this, set, this text, we're going to see that there are three very distinct steps in the process. Step one, just go. Step two, don't forget. Step three, keep going. All right, so let's get into it. You can look with me to verse 33. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we are going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. A mixed crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves, since it had no yeast. 
For when they were driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that same day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. So step one, just go. This first section of text gives us a lot of important information about the Israelites going. We're going to see how they left, and we're also going to see who left. So how? It was over and over again. They left quickly. They could not delay. They had not prepared. The point of the matter is they'd been waiting for their freedom a very long time. And when the opportunity finally presented itself, they couldn't even delay a little bit. They couldn't even bake their bread. They had to leave, and they had to leave immediately. And I think that teaches us something, too. Like, what are the things that we've been praying to the Lord about, asking him to free us from? When freedom finally comes, we can't delay. There's no time for us to prepare. We have to go quickly. It's the same thing. Next, I think it's important to note that not only did they go quickly from Egypt, they also went obediently. Now, the Israelites' obedience is highlighted in two ways in this week's passage. Now, as we travel along with the Israelites, we are going to get lots of examples of their bad behavior. We're going to see their disobedience and their lack of faith on display a lot. So I, for one, think it's only fair that when they do something well, we, we give them some props, right? And there's two, two ways that they acted very well in this week's passage. Verse 35, the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. Imagine how that conversation went. So we're leaving. Um, we realize that your country is ruined and you're busy mourning the death of your firstborn. But can I have that necklace? I mean, this would have been something that they could very easily have ignored. We just said that they're getting pushed out of the country. It's an awkward thing to ask. And why on earth would they even think that the Egyptians would do it? It's crazy. But here we learn a very important principle. Do what God says, even when it makes no sense at all. This is a large part of true faith in the Lord. I can remember years ago when I was really wrestling with a specific discipline that I saw in Scripture, wondering if I needed to put it into practice in my own life. And it was one that didn't make any sense to me. And I remember the Lord impressing on my spirit this thought. It takes more faith to, agree, to do something when you don't understand, not less. So here, this is the exact type of faith that we see the Israelites exhibiting when they did what absolutely 
did not make any sense. And it was a way for the Lord to provide for them in a way that they couldn't even have imagined. So let's, let's take that to heart. Let's remember that we do not, and our obedience should not, depend on our understanding. We can obey without understanding. The second way that their obedience is highlighted in this week's passage is when they actually left Egypt. Verse 41. On that same day, all the Israelites went out from the land of Egypt. They obeyed when they left. God provided the way, absolutely. But they still needed to pack their bags and actually leave. Amen, right? And that's true for us too. We also need to actually leave our lives of of sin. We need to walk away from what enslaves us. Same concept. God provides the way, we log the miles. So let's look now to who left. Verse 37. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. Here we get a clue as to the number of people, the number of Israelites, that left as part of the exodus. Able-bodied men would have meant men that could fight in an army. So you're looking at probably from 20 years old to 50 years old. Uh, This is why you keep seeing references to the Lord's military divisions, too. So most scholars believe that when you include the women, the children, the young men, and the older men, that 2.4 million Israelites left Egypt as part of the exodus. Ladies, this was a mass exodus. Houston, Texas is the fourth largest city in the United States. It is home to 2.4 million people. Imagine on one day, after all of these horrific plagues, the entire city of Houston put whatever they could fit in their car and permanently left. Doesn't that sort of make us understand the next verse a little bit better? A mixed crowd also went up with them. Okay, so the only thing we know about this mixed crowd is that they're not Israelites. They could have been Egyptian. They could have been other foreigners. We also don't really get any indication of what their motive is in leaving. Maybe some of them painted the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts of their houses and were spared the death of the firstborn. Maybe some of them didn't, and now they believed. Or maybe they just looked around, and there wasn't anything left to stay for. Whatever the reason, what the important part is, is that the Israelites actually getting up and leaving was compelling. It was compelling So much so that this mixed crowd did the same thing. They got up. They left too. 
The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that same day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. God's prophecy back to Abraham in Genesis 15 has come true. Look at that. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. Every bit of what God said has come true. All right, as we continue along in our how-to manual, we come to step two. Don't forget. Verse 42. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. We see a principle here. When the Lord does something for us, we should respond. Verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. Okay, so the night of Passover just happened. We looked at that last week. So we're not talking here about the night or the event of Passover. We're talking about its remembrance. We're talking about the holiday or the feast of Passover. It is easy to miss the significance of this section of scripture right here. We have to take a step back to get the big picture. Right here, God gives the Israelites the first two of only seven God-given holidays. Now, the Jewish people have many holidays, just like we do. But God only commanded seven. So when God commands something, we should pay attention. When I found out about the significance of these seven holidays, it so impacted my faith that to this day, my family celebrates these seven God-given holidays, which you can find in Leviticus 23. We celebrate all our other ones too, but we've added these seven. So because what seems like, when you just read the text, what seems like holidays given to the Israelites to help them remember something God did for them, it's actually so much more when you look at it through a New Testament lens. Because each and every one of these seven holidays predicted something about how God would redeem humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And each and every one teaches us something about our walk with the Lord, our spiritual walk. But tonight, we're only going to cover the first two because that's what the text has. Um, Let's look at Passover first. Verse 43, no foreigner may eat it, but any slave a man has purchased may eat it after you have circumcised him. A temporary resident or hired worker may not eat the Passover. It is to be eaten in one house. You may not take any of the meat outside of the house, and you may not break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. 
Why more regulations about Passover now? We got a whole bunch last week. I have to assume that it's because of this mixed crowd of people coming out of Egypt along with the Israelites. So God wants to make it perfectly clear the Passover is not just another day that you celebrate, however. Passover is for God's covenant people, which is why there's all this talk about circumcision. Because circumcision, we looked at it in our homework, circumcision was the sign of the covenant. If you were circumcised, that meant that you were part of God's people. And that's, and Passover is for God's people. But look at verse 48. If an alien resides among you and wants to observe the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised, and then he may participate. He will become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat it. The same law will apply to both the native and the alien who resides among you. Okay, so it's clear that the requirement is not to be a native-born Israelite. The requirement is to be circumcised. It's to be part of God's people. This is very important to our theology. God is the God of the Hebrew people. He is the God of the Israelites, but he made a way for anyone to join him, to join his people. And we see this happening throughout scripture. Uh, We studied last semester, there's several women in the genealogy of Jesus that were not Israelites by birth, but became part of God's people by choice. So we studied with Genesis, we studied Tamar. There's Rahab, there's Ruth. There's so many. Because it's not a matter of nationality, it's a matter of covenant. Okay, so how does this apply to us today? Well, the Bible tells us that now the way that we enter into covenant with God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So for the Israelites, Passover commemorates their physical redemption by the blood of the Passover lamb. For us, Passover commemorates our spiritual redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb. And more than that, we see that Passover, as the first God-ordained holiday, it teaches us that everything starts with redemption. We don't earn it. We trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we enter into covenant. Amen, right? It kind of felt like I needed an amen there. Yeah. Okay, so... Next, the people are told to celebrate unleavened bread, the second God-ordained holiday. Look with me to verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. For the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Nothing leavened may be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which he swore to your ancestors that he would give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ceremony in this month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there is to be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread is to be eaten for those seven days. 
nothing leavened may be found among you, and no yeast may be found among you in all your territory. It's a lot of repetition about leaven, ladies. So what's the deal with leaven? Leaven is used throughout scripture as a symbol for sin. So unleavened bread symbolizes sinlessness. Who is the only sinless human being that has ever lived? Jesus Christ. So unleavened bread points solidly to the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for all that will believe. So we saw last week that, that Jesus was killed on Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread starts the day after Passover and it lasts seven days. So during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus was buried, he defeated death, and he rose from the dead. All during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is linked consistently throughout scripture with this idea of leaving your slavery. That's what Jesus accomplished for us. When he defeated death, when he defeated sin, he accomplished that for us. And now he calls us to respond to that. I was so impacted when I first learned about unleavened bread that when the holiday came around, I decided I was going to do this. Now, the eating unleavened bread part was not that hard. Just go buy some unleavened bread. The leaven piece, um, it's not as simple as just not eating uh, like bread or baked goods. Are there any gluten-free ladies in the audience? Y'all, like leaven is in so many things that you wouldn't have a clue about. First of all, I had to do a little bit of research even to figure out like what it is exactly and what I should be avoiding. But I did that. I went and I did my research, I did my meal planning, I put the plan in place because that's what I do. And I thought I was doing great. Like, here you go. Um, I'll never forget sitting at Chick-fil-A with my daughter, eating a delicious chicken nugget I know, I'm not that smart. Um, when it dawned on me, this chicken nugget has breading, and breading has leaven. Is it? Oops. <laughs> Isn't that exactly how sin works? It works like that, too. To remove, to actually remove sin from your life, it's going to start with an awareness of what sin actually even is. And the only way we get that is by taking in the unleavened bread of the Word of God. But it goes so far beyond just those obviously sinful actions. It goes on to our thoughts, our motives, our intention. So just like we have to search for these things physically, we have to search for these things spiritually. And it does get easier over time. 
I am not making that chicken nugget mistake again. You do, got, you do start to see, hey, you know, I should avoid these sorts of conversations. I should avoid these sorts of circumstances if I'm really serious about walking away from my life, my slavery to sin. It has so much to teach. And it's such a picture of spiritual growth. Now, we don't despair when we notice something. We have to grow in this. We have to move on keep going. So, for the Israelites, unleavened bread commemorates them leaving their physical slavery in Egypt. For us, unleavened bread commemorates us leaving our spiritual slavery to sin. And unleavened bread, as the second God-ordained holiday, teaches us something too. It teaches us that after our redemption, we must leave our life of slavery to sin. And that it's not going to be necessarily an easy process. We're going to have to do some work for it. The purpose for unleavened bread was not just for each individual person to learn about sanctification, the process of growing spiritually. It was also there to be a teaching opportunity. Look at verse 8. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead, so that the Lord's instructions may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Unleavened bread was a teaching opportunity. I have three small children, and that is enough to know that any time you change up your normal routine, they notice and they want to know why. So at least once a year, the Israelites got an opportunity to talk to their children about why. I have seen the same thing. Every year that I do unleavened bread, I have felt like the Lord's instructions were in my mouth with each question that my daughter asks or my son asks. Um, so God's really giving us something, something to help us. The annual holidays gave the Israelites these opportunities for remembrance. But it wasn't just the holidays. We saw so much in this week's passage about the firstborn. So 13, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn of every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal, it is mine. 13, 12, you are to present to the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. All firstborn offspring of the livestock you own that are males will be the Lord's. You must redeem every firstborn of a donkey with a flock animal, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. However, you must redeem every firstborn among your sons. The birth of every firstborn, man or animal, was a teaching opportunity. And this was an agrarian society, so this was happening quite a bit. Each time, hey, mom, dad, why, why, why do you do this? Let me tell you, our God is sovereign God. He delivered us from 
our slavery in Egypt. When Pharaoh refused to let us go, God killed every single firstborn male, human or animal. And so when we have these firstborn, I sacrifice to the Lord my firstborn, and I redeem all my firstborn sons. It's powerful. Hopefully you see the lengths to which God is going so that his people will remember and that they'll teach the next generation to do so as well. So as we continue in our passage, we're going to get to step three. Keep going. Start in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. The people probably thought they were ready for a battle, don't you think? But God knew that they absolutely were not. So he takes them the long way. Who here has been taken the long way? Yeah? I'm not alone. But I look at this, and this is one of those things that just jumps off the page at me. How many times when God has taken me the long way, where are you, God? What are you doing? When I look at this, I see that God is so good and so caring and that we can trust him, especially when he takes us the long way. He knows what we can handle. He's the only one. Amen. Continue in verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath, saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. Joseph's request from Genesis 50, after all these years, is actually honored. It's awesome. They set out from Succoth and camped at Atham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. God knew the path that the Israelites had to take out of their slavery. And ladies, God knows the path each and every one of you has to take out of your slavery. And that is why we follow the one who knows the way. We don't follow other people. We don't follow our friend who's following the Lord. We follow God because he's the only one that knows the way. As we come to the end of this week's passage, I think that the structure of the passage merits a little bit of discussion. I mean, why start with leaving, shift to remembrance, just to go back to leaving? It's odd. 
And when you see something odd, it makes you want to kind of dig a little bit deeper. I think this is actually here to show us something specific. The Israelites left their slavery on a specific day. The text emphasized that over and over. And they left in a way. They left quickly. They left obediently. They took others with them. But right away, they stop. And they are told to remember. Don't forget. Remember the one who saved you. Remember what he's done. Teach your children. So they left on a specific day. But their journey didn't stop there. They had to keep going. And that's the same for us too. Our journey out of our life of slavery, it starts on a specific day. It starts when we accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We leave and we should stop and remember that frequently. We should take every opportunity that we can get to tell the next generation about it. But we're, we're kind of kidding ourselves if we think that the journey stops there. Just like them, we have to keep going. I think that's why this passage is, is set up this way. Ladies, I think that the Israelites have really laid out a big challenge for us in this week's passage. As believers, we should look spiritually like the Israelites looked physically, right? So we should be making a mass exodus from the ways of the world, from what enslaves us to what God has for us. We should be people that are more focused on being obedient than in understanding every little thing along the way. Right? And on our journey, it should be so evident that we are following somebody, just like if we were following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And don't you think that if we did that, that it wouldn't be compelling to some of our unbelieving friends and neighbors, the people that are looking on, so much so that maybe they decide to come along too. What do you think? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you as the sovereign king of the universe, high above all other gods. You alone are God. Father, we also praise you as our Father who loves us, who knows the way for us. Lord God, please help these truths that we've been learning to go down deep into our souls, Lord. Show us the way that you have for us and help us to walk in your ways. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, guys, we're going to worship together again. Um